Well, thank you. <clears throat> Glad to call Pastor Townsley, my friend, for longer than either one of us wants to admit. <clears throat> Friday, I, I told you a story, and no pun intended, I didn't tell it. I told the story, but I didn't finish the story, because I told you that I was going to tell you the other half, but I forgot. How many of you know when you get old, you forget <clears throat> where you're at sometimes? And when you travel as much as I do, I'm home and occasionally I get home in my own bed and I wake up thinking, how do I get to the bathroom from here? But anyway, <laughs> uh, but I didn't tell I told you on Friday in the story of Linda, Linda and me going to Africa in the, back in the early 70s and didn't know the culture and had to learn the language, actually two languages, and then had my first baptismal service. I'm not going to repeat that part of the story, all right? <clears throat> But I, I forgot that just, just not so long ago, I had an email from a fellow missionary who still works out in that part of the world where I started my first church. And this missionary sent me an email and said, Brother Godfrey, I just thought you would want to know this. She said, do you remember Sheikh and Jai? Man, do I remember Sheh Njai was the first man, one of the first men I ever won to Christ in Africa. And the first man I ever baptized when I was telling that story on Friday about going out in the little pond. It only rained two months of the whole year there. And I baptized that man. She said, I just thought you'd want to know this. She said the other day, and I want you to think, this is over 45 years ago. But she said the other day, Sheh, who's an old man now, and he's usually real quiet. She said he was giving his testimony in the church you started. <laughs> Just think about that. 45 years ago. She said, and his son in Galben is now the pastor. <laughs> well, Linda and I went back and got out all the pictures and slides. And we had a picture of this little guy in Galben. He was... Six years old, we went into Christ back in the 70s. And now he's the pastor of that church. And his daddy, who was the first man ever baptized. You know what that does to the heart of a missionary when somebody that you want and disciple 40 plus years ago, they're still in church. They're still giving testimony to the grace of God. And the, the missionary said, and these are her words. She said, he's usually real quiet, but he was waxing eloquent. And he said, yeah, back in the old days when I signed by, they couldn't say Godfrey. I was I signed by for 16 years. She said, back, he said, back in the old days when I signed by came down here, we didn't have to have these concrete basins to baptize people in. He just took us out in the pond, plucked us down in the muck with the turtles. <laughs> and uh, I have a lot of fun with it. But, you know, when you, that's what happens to missionaries. I mean, they go. And folk, when they go and they win people and they plant a church, it's not just a, for a few days. Like her grandparents hearing the gospel and they got saved and now they're going back. And that's, that's what it's all about. Well, I want you to open your Bibles this morning. I'm switching, a little, switching gears a little bit this morning. I want you to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Jonah. Now, since some of you can't find it, real easy. <clears throat> Let me tell you how we did it in Africa. When we got there, our people had never seen a Bible. So, uh, 
Even adults, we had to teach them like little kids the books of the Bible. So we taught them to sing, and we would start, Jeunesse exode levitica, nombre du terronome, Josué, Jusserut, under Samuel. And we just kept singing right on out through l'Apocalypse de Jean, the revelation of John. So if I told my people there, find the book of Jonah, I could hear, <laughs> and they would finally get there. So I hope now you found Jonah. So just keep it open. I'm going to get to my verses in just a moment. But let me, I don't usually play games with my, the congregation, but I want, to, I want to have a little game with you this morning. If I were to say this word, what would you say? Barnes and Noble. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. I thought you would say Trigger. No, anyway. <clears throat> Jethro and Moses. <laughs> I just knew y'all would say LMA, but y'all, that's, <clears throat> all right. Batman and Jonah and, <laughs> see, that's what, that's what I knew. But I, I want to talk today, this Jonah, it's one of the small books, but how many of you know short books in the Bible can be some of the greatest blessings? Let me tell you some of my favorite books in the, in the Bible, the book of Ruth. Oh, what a blessing it is. The book of Philemon in the New Testament. The book of Habakkuk in French is Habakkuk. But the book of Habakkuk. But here's Jonah. I like the book. In, in the French Bible, the word Jonah is Jonas. Jonas, that's my first name. So I like it because I identify with it. In the, in the jungle, they call me, everyone there, they still do call me Pastor Jonas. And I also like it because in chapter 4 and verse 8, you don't need to look there, but it says, And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die. And I thought Jonah had to be as bald as I am. <clears throat> Y'all will get that later. My wife, Linda... She won't even let me wear a turtleneck sweater anymore. Because <clears throat> she says, when I do, I look like a bottle of roll-on deodorant. But anyway, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> she, she, did. <laughs> she didn't say, I know. So if, you, if you're new, okay, if you're visiting Sunday morning, you haven't been here the rest of the week. It's just, that's me, okay? I see the funny and things that other people don't always but let me come back now to serious business. <clears throat> I'm having a little fun to point out something. I believe the devil has succeeded in hiding the true meaning of this book, maybe more than any other book in the Bible. Because it's not a book just about a man and a fish. It's not about that at all. It's about foreign missions. We're told this four short chapters, the book of Jonah, because of what th these words reveal to us about God. Here we have a servant of God, unresponsive to the love of God for people. But some way the devil's tried to get people to look at everything else in this book. You know the story, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to go and 
they, the sailors cast him into the ocean, the whale swallowed him, and, and people get all wrapped up about, can a whale swallow a man? And look, G. Campbell Morgan said, some men are so busy with a tape measure trying to, uh, trying to find out whether a man could get inside of a fish that they never plumb the depths of deity. And they miss seeing what the book is about. In fact, let me show you what it's about before I even get into my message. In chapter 4 and verse 11, the very end of the book, it tells us what the book is about. Because there God is speaking and He says, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. We're going to talk more about tonight, the numbers over here. That's kind of the numbers of people that were in the city of Nineveh and they needed to hear the truth. Now let me give you my very simple message this morning. First of all, I want you to see this. The call of Jonah. Chapter 1, the first two verses. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Again, if, if you're like a Bible like mine, almost just right across the page in chapter 3, in verse number 1, And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. There's absolutely nothing in those verses that would excite our ridicule. It's an amazing thing that God would call a man to go to some other place. It's an amazing thing, dear friend, that God speaks to us at all. I don't know when I started doing it, but someone I heard, it just, I don't know if I heard someone say it, but I just, for many years now, when I read my Bible, every time I read an expression like God said to, or the word of the Lord came to Jonah, I underline it. And I do that because it impresses upon me that over and over and over again. In fact, in the Old Testament, you read those terms God spoke to, or God's word came to, 3,800 plus times. Let that sink in a moment. Folk, God cares about us. God speaks to us. We would know His power by looking at the beauty of the universe. By the way, how can anybody look at it and not see God's power? But you wouldn't know much about God personally without this book. And God reveals Himself to us in the book. But more than that, God is still speaking today. God is still calling men and women today. God is still giving them a burden to go across this world today. And again, that's one of my joys is to get to go to places and people come to me and say, Brother Godfrey, when you were preaching such and such a church or such and such a Bible college, God called me to preach. I was in, um, where was I at? Wildwood Baptist Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Anybody from Oshkosh? Probably not. My good friend, Pastor Randy King, was there back in those days. And I was there, and this young man came up to me and said, Brother Godfrey, do you remember me? Don't you hate it when people say that? I said, help me. He said, I'm from Massachusetts. And the moment he said that, it started clicking. 
Way back in my young life, when I used to preach up here in New England, I was in Massachusetts, I had a head full of hair, and, and very young, weighed a lot less, and um, I preached in the church a lot, and this young man, I watched him kind of grow up, and then, of course, we went to Africa, and would come back every fourth year, and uh, his mother read my prayer letter and saw that I was going to be near where her son was going to go to Fairhaven Baptist College. He was going to go to college there. She said, she wrote me a letter or called me one and said, would you go by and see Jim and his new wife? And I had forgotten all about that. And so I did that, though. I went by and spent a day with this young man who was recently married, getting ready to go Bible college. Well, the years had gone by. And I had not seen him, had not heard of him. Now I'm at Wildwood Baptist in Oscars, Wisconsin. And he's asking me, do you remember who I am? And no, I didn't. He's... He said, that day that you spent with my wife and me, God called me to preach. I'm just telling you that God is still in the name calling business. He knows your name. He doesn't want everybody to go to the Philippines, but he wants some to go. He wants us all to be involved in helping them get there. So the call of God is my first point. But then God called Jonah and uh, you see a strange word, or Jonah thought it was strange. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Nineveh, Lord? You, you know that we know that you've already predicted that they're going to come against Israel and crush them. Nineveh that had 1,200 towers, 200 feet high, walls that three chariots could ride around all around the city. They made pyramids out of human heads. They sacrificed their sons and daughters. Uh, they sacrificed the sons and daughters of their enemies. They cut off the hands of kings who they conquered and hung them on the wall. Assyria, Nineveh, was the rising world power destined to destroy Israel. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Sometimes we can read the Bible and, and just miss the impact. I don't know how to give an example exactly, but supposing some representative Jewish person during Hitler's re regime heard God say, I want you to go to Berlin. And preach a message of forgiveness. Jacob DeShazer, I don't know if you've ever heard the name or not. Jacob DeShazer was one of Doolittle's raiders. And if you know anything about World War II history, the ship was headed to Japan. And they were going to drop the first bombs on Japan. But before they got there, the Japanese ships spotted them and they had to leave early. The, every plane leaving that ship knew they would never make it back. They were shot down over Japan and over China, and DeShazer was not the pilot. He was a bombardier in one of those planes, and his plane was shot down and landed, crash-landed in China. He was captured by the Japanese. The pilot of his plane died in captivity. DeShazer was put into solitary confinement. He was a lost man, beaten, abused in every kind of way. But during that time he was in prison in China. Only God could have done this, but for some reason they let him have a Bible for a time. 
but never turned the light off in his cell and he read day and night, read the word of God and he got saved in a cell in China. When the war ended and he got out, came back to Portland, Oregon where he grew up, got in church, went to Bible college and went back to Japan as a missionary. And he wrote a track called I Was a Prisoner of the Japanese. And there have been thousands upon thousands of those tracks distributed all over Japan. He gave his testimony. He preached. He shared the gospel. One of the men that eventually heard him and, and got saved was Fuchida-san. Fuchida-san was the commander of the Pearl Harbor bombing raid. And he heard the Shazer giving the gospel and he trusted Christ and he traveled across Japan and even came up to America once. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, uh, not there, Lord. Not so, Lord, Peter said. The generosity of God displeased Jonah exceedingly and he slashed with angry prayer at the graciousness of the Almighty. I told you so, he screamed. I know what you would do, you dirty forgiver. You bless your enemies and show kindness to those who despitefully use you. I'd rather die than live in a world with a God like you. And don't you try to forgive me either. And God still calls. And we can't always figure it out. Let me tell you about another family. They're in the Philippines. They're going to go work with them for a time. He's American born. She's American born also, but Filipina. And uh, God started working on his heart about going as missionaries to the Philippines. And she said to her husband, the wife did, I worked all my life to get out of the Philippines. I'm not going back there. And he said, well, God's calling me and pray about it. And so some time went by and finally she came back to see her husband. And she said, okay, I, I, I got it figured out. You go to the Philippines, I will stay here and work and I'll send you money. <laughs> and then some more months went by and she came back and she said, I know. And they surrendered and they went and they're there and they're seeing people saved in a great church up in Antipolo City, overlooking Manila Bay area there. My first point, simple point, the call of God. I don't know who you are. I know many of you, and I've enjoyed the fellowship with all of you, but there may be somebody here this morning, some younger person, maybe some older person, God's saying, I want you to go preach the gospel. It might be in Philippines. It might be in Guyana. It might be in... Connecticut. I don't know. See, that's, I, I tell young people all the time, the place is the least important part of it. But there may be someone this morning and God is saying, I want you to preach. Well, that's my first point. Let me give you my second point. And the second point is the compassion of God. The call of God is real, but I want you to look at chapter 4 and verse number 2. Well, let me read verse 1. And it pleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I 
uh, fled before them unto Tarshish, for I know that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. And then, of course, verse 11, I've already read verse, and God said, should not I spare none of this great city? Look, uh, aren't you glad that we serve a compassionate God? Amen. Think about those words that I just read in that verse number two in chapter four. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness. For God, the Lord of earth and heaven, so loved and longed to see forgiven the world in sin and pleasure mad that he gave the greatest gift he had, his only begotten son, to take our place. That whosoever, oh, what grace, believeth, placing simple trust in him, the righteous and the just, should not perish lost in sin, but have everlasting life in him. God loves the world. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, just listen. When he saw he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, the re, to repentance. Look, Jonah, the God of the Hebrews, has a concern for the rest of the world. And Jonah, like many Jewish people, needed to learn that God's special favor toward Israel did not mean that God has any less regard or love for other people. Just parenthetical, by the way, the tenderness in the heart of God is just as easily seen, not in his forgiveness of the Ninevites when they repented, but in the patient with this man, Jonah. Honestly, when I read it, I think, man, if I'd been God and Jonah was acting the way he did, God's compassionate. God's long-suffering, God's merciful. Most of us heard the gospel many times before we got saved. Many of us heard the call many times before we surrendered and said, Lord, I'll do it. So, two points. Somebody say amen. amen. The call of God, the compassion of God. Let me give you my final point this morning. The challenge to the church. Now the word of the Lord came unto the church saying, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, uh, even unto the end of the world. My fear is that Jonah's descendants are probably 
the most numerous group that you'll find in many local churches. I'm not fussing because I know where I'm at. I know you all don't give this way, but in a lot of churches, they simply give a token, a penance, if you will, to missions. And they think that Christianity is essentially for middle-class Americans only. Let me just remind all of us this morning that God loves everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. It does not matter the color of your skin. God wants black people to be saved. God wants Muslim people to be saved. God wants Hispanic people to be saved. God wants liberals to be saved. And missions is not simply an organ of the church, but the church itself should be an organ for missions. Therefore, the work of missions reaching the world, it's not a little side issue. It's not an optional thing. It is the, it's the very essential part and heart of what every local church body ought to be doing. And a church that does not believe in missions and give and pray and send missionaries can give no better indication that they've lost all idea of what God has told us about. An anti-mission spirit in a church is the death of that church. Because really where that comes from is selfishness, hardness of heart. And some, some churches have become hospitals and unless they get right with God and see other people needing Christ, it will not just be a hospital but a graveyard. hundred Plus years ago, mission agencies pleaded for missionaries to come to Japan and China. American churches didn't do that. And we Americans ended up giving tens of thousands of our sons and daughters who died in the waters of the Pacific and in the Atlantic. A clergyman asked the Duke of Wellington one time, doesn't your highness think that it's extravagant to preach the gospel to the Hindus? And the great general looked at him and retorted, What are your marching orders, sir? And there are a lot of us today that it's so easy to get tied up in things that don't matter much at all. We spend money to impress people that we don't even like. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God's still waiting for a host of Jonas in their comfortable homes to come around to God's way of thinking. See, Jonah was a servant of God. He had a successful ministry, and God said, I want you to move, Jonah. And Jonah said, I'll demonstrate my immediate obedience provided you comply with my demand for a more satisfying assignment. People debate all the time why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Did you know that verse I read a little bit ago in chapter 4 verse 2 tells us exactly why Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because he didn't want God to forgive those people. 
people who are not like us, people that don't speak the same language that we speak, people that have a different culture than we have, people that eat different things than we eat, people that don't understand why we do what. Look, the truth is, folk, every person ought to have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ clearly presented. Jonah built a little booth, a shelter from the heat. A gourd vine grew, protection from the wind that on him beat. Jonah rejoiced exceeding glad for this convenient gourd, especially since this comfort was provided by the Lord. I thank thee, Lord, that thou hast been so good to my dear wife and me. We're glad we're in a peaceful land of great prosperity. It makes us feel so good. This little bungalow, the kitchenette, the living room, the rug so soft, you know. We love our children, everyone. We keep them home for God. The homeland needs them just as much as mission fields abroad. And fundamentalists are we, my children, wife, and I, so thankful that we're saved by grace, secure until we die. What didst thou say? Oh, Nineveh? Well, that's another thing. Right now, we want to praise our God. We're sheltered neath His wings. Thus fundamental Jonas, to the Lord their praises tell. We'll sing we're saved and satisfied. While Nineveh goes to hell. Dear Lord, I pray this morning.